1: Hey, this is Gary Head at Signature Bank of Arkansas. We founded Signature Bank in 2005 with local ownership to serve our communities with the best bankers with the most authority to do business. We have succeeded in growing our bank to over $800 million in assets, including $50 million in
2: growth in the first quarter in 21. We have 155 teammates that love our communities
1: and the customers that we serve. We are always here to serve and eager to do so. As chairman and CEO, I welcome your call to have the opportunity to serve you. Please call 479-684-4700 or online at Signature.Bank and tell them that you heard about us at I Am Northwest Arkansas.
0: Hey, folks, and welcome to another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. I'm excited to be with you today. Got another great episode for you. Again, as I tell you guys all the time when listening to this podcast, if you can think of somebody that you say, you know, they'd be great on the podcast, refer them to me. I'll track them down. I'll connect with them and get them on the podcast. Well, my next guest is actually one of those individuals. I'm here with, Park Superintendent Mark Klippinger. And Mark is the Park Superintendent at Hobbs State Park out here on the east side of Rogers, kind of not terribly far from Beaver Lake, but he is, this is the largest park system here in Arkansas. And it's it's a really interesting place. And so I just want to encourage you guys to come out here. But without further ado, I want to introduce you to Park Superintendent Mark Clippinger. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, I just, we always start this podcast off and everybody that's familiar with it, we always want to get the individual superhero origin story. So if you would love to indulge our audience, just tell us a little bit about you. You've got, you've been doing this for a long time. I would love for you just to kind of share
2: how you got here and, you know, why you became a park ranger. Sure. Be glad to do that. I don't know about superhero, but uh, <laughs> I've had a, a great career. I've been very blessed in my assignments with the Arkansas State Park System. And I actually was in private industry and going to college to become a police officer. And uh, I went to Memphis State, University of Memphis now, and they had a two-semester park ranger training program there at that time. It was taught by a National Park Service representatives, actually a professor at the university who spent his summers at Acadia National Park. So, I was an Eagle Scout, and I loved the outdoors and I spent a lot of time there, so I combined my interest in emergency services with the outdoors and went to the school and, and was hired by Arkansas State Parks. I actually had the opportunity to go to the National Park Service, Olympic National Park, but realized that my opportunities wouldn't be as great and as diverse as they would be at a local system. So I came to Arkansas in the May of 1983 and was stationed at Withrow Springs State Park, Back then, not always glamorous assignments when you're trying to bring staff in. Competition was very tough. A lot of people, positions. I actually lived, began my career living out of a snack bar at Spring State Park. That's how difficult it was to get in back then and served as a seasonal ranger there and then lucky enough to be assigned to Lake Washita State Park down around Hot Springs on Lake Washita. absolutely beautiful lake down there. And then since my assignment at Withrow, part of their responsibility was to come up here to the Hobbs area, which was acquired in February of 1979. Governor David Pryor was instrumental along with local representatives, legislative representatives in acquiring this site. And uh, Governor Bill Clinton actually signed uh, the legislation for the appropriation. Actually cost three and a quarter million dollars, this acquisition did. Two million of that was from state revenue. And a million and a quarter came from federal funds to help us push it over the top. If it wasn't for the local citizens in Northwest Arkansas back then, this place might not have been saved. It was looked at very hard for development, so you can imagine with the growth in Northwest Arkansas, what was going to happen to this location, with whether it be commercial or residential buildings. So we're very fortunate to be able to have acquired this. And if it hadn't been for 23 Northwest Arkansas banks that put the funding together through the Nature Conservancy, and the Nature Conservancy was one of our strong partners back then, they held it until the state could get their affairs in order. And at that time, in February 1979, the acquisition occurred. And again, that's how Withrow Springs got tied into this. Their staff was coming up here trying to look after it until I arrived in, you know, 1986 when I transferred up here from Lake Washita as a park ranger. eventually promoted on to the park superintendent. I was on the area for 10 years by myself, so I did all the enforcement, maintenance, bookkeeping, all those types of tasks that were necessary to run the park. But we had limited facilities or no facilities really then, just acquisition you know, folks mainly hunted the area. And we promised the public we would continue to allow hunting here. And we have in cooperation with Arkansas Game and Fish. And you guys are one of the few parks that allow hunting, right? That's correct. We're right now the only park that allows hunting, although we've considered other locations. Right. Hunting can be a good thing if you manage populations. It can be a bad thing too when it's abused, as I saw when I got up here. This area was the heaviest hunted area in northwest Arkansas. When I arrived, we had one hunter every during opening week in a modern gun deer season, we had one hunter every 20 acres on this piece of property, wow. which was intense. And we actually saw that in the degradation of the buck population here. We were only seeing spikes and forked antlers back then or four points. But since then, we've integrated a with Game and Fish, Arkansas Game and Fish, a permit program, a hunter permit program, both for our muzzleloading and gun deer seasons. And it took us, believe it or not, eight to nine years to start seeing some nice bucks get back in the population. Mm-hmm. And actually now we're 25 years into that permit program, maybe 26. It really took us 15 years to really start reestablishing a nice level population here. So, yeah. so we've done a pretty good job with that. And, and Game and Fish is one of our partners, along with the Natural Heritage Commission. They were This place was for the first time, this piece of property was the first time in the state's history that state agencies alone got together to manage a piece of property. It's very common in the state with the U.S. Forest Service and Game and Fish and other agencies to get together, federal and state. This was kind of a trending thing back then, and so today it's still managed by the title of the property. It sits with Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, and but still Game and Fish is involved in decision-making processes and working with us. And now Heritage, back then, was a separate agency under the governor's recent reorganization. Heritage is part of our agency, so Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, where it used to be Parks and Tourism. Okay. All right. And that
0: way, and I guess doing that and aligning all of you guys together makes it a little easier for everybody to work together.
2: It does. We've always had a great working relationship. And even I mentioned the Nature Conservancy, they've been instrumental with us trying to help us manage the property over time as they could. You know, we feel like, believe it or not, the Nature Conservancy really didn't exist in the state of Arkansas till this piece of property was acquired. And I say that they didn't exist. They didn't have an office here. Mm-hmm. And as a result of purchasing this property and be involved in holding it, they opened an office in Little Rock. And of course, now they have a Ozark office in Fayetteville as well. But, so this, this project was the impetus for the Nature Conservancy to really move forward in the state of Arkansas, so it makes it another unique aspect of this piece of property. And again, it's a little over 12,000 acres here. It's the largest holding in Benton County. 23% of state parks' land sits on this one piece of property. And when we say it's the largest park, that's what we mean as far as land-based. It's definitely not the largest when it comes to facilities. You know, we have other larger facilities, DeGray, Lake DeGray Resort, State Park, Petty Jean, Mount Magazine, of course, and one of our more popular, busier parks locally in Northwest Arkansas, Devil's Den, which most folks know. But we do have Withrow Springs here locally in Northwest Arkansas, Prairie Grove, Lake Fort Smith, just south of. Fayetteville, between Fayetteville and Fort Smith, so we do have some other state parks up here as well.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, it's almost like, and you were, you were saying before we started recording that this is like one of the best kept secrets too, like a lot of people don't really know about it, and it's really not that far away. I drove from the east side of Fayetteville, uh, straight down 412, I took a left and kept driving straight north, and you get here pretty
2: quickly. Well, it's amazing. A lot of folks are very familiar with Warrigal Mill and have visited the mill They don't realize that unless you're coming out of the Fayetteville-Springdale, the route you came up out of Spring Valley or on 303 there, as you're coming out of Rogers or you're coming from the Huntsville side, Eureka side, you drive right through the park. I mean, with 12,000 acres, Highway 12 bisects the property. So a lot of folks don't know it, even though it's signed and we have some beautiful entrance signs. Don't realize they're within the state park because of that major highway thoroughfare through there. But yes, it's really been a a well-kept secret, and I, I say that. It's just because we haven't had a lack, we've had a lack of facilities here. And now with our visitor center that we opened up here in May of 2009, gave us a focal point finally where we could get, you know, visitors in to see the facilities and and learn more about the park. And then we've expanded our education program as our staff has expanded as well. So we're doing a lot more education, particularly with school systems and partnership programs, family-oriented programs here. Most of those are free of charge. Unique programs that we have as well in workshops. We do kayak workshops and sunset tours and Eagle watches on our, on Beaver Lake working with the Corps of Engineers. So we've got quite a diversity here. Yeah. And
0: it's almost like, I mean, if people know about it, they can come out and take advantage of it and participate. And then of course on the website, you can find out more information about that.
2: That's correct. And yeah. not only our Arkansas State Park website, but we're very fortunate here. We have a friends organization, a support group, the Friends of Hobbs, and it's a, I mean, an excellent website as well. We can manipulate that many times quicker than our state park page to get updates when we have closures or trails, which recently with the snow we had, we closed with many of our multi-use bike trails because of the snow. Right. But we also update our interpretive programs there much quicker. So yeah, please, you know, the Friends of Hobbs are, is a great location for you to go to find out more information, get park brochures, trail maps, those kind of things as well, besides the state park webpage.
0: Yeah. And and we'll be sure to put all that in the show notes so people know where to go to get that additional information. So I'd like to kind of back up a little bit and just talk about, you know, because of, you know, this is a big hunting area. And what is
2: the diversity of animal life here on Hobbs State Park? It's quite diverse, believe it or not. We do have challenges. The roadways we have on the, whether it be state highways or county roads, kind of, Outside of whitetail movement, deer movement restrict some of the movement of some of the species. You know, they don't like to get near traffic ways or unfortunately many of the animals get hit on the roadway. I picked mm-hmm. up a, a groundhog or woodchuck the day before yesterday got hit on the roadway, which is sad, but that's part of progress and, and it does limit some of those species that try to live near the roadways or cross as well. But we've got all the major species except some of the big carnivores like black bears. We do have a black bear move through the air every once in a while, but again, residential development around us. They like to have a lot of space yeah. and I think as everybody knows the black bear program, you know, Arkansas used to be known as the bear state and unfortunately they met quite a bit of demise early on and Game Fish reintroduced the species and as a result now it's been known as one of the most recognized reintroductions of a large male or large mammal species in the United States if not North America. So as a result of that we have a booming black bear population so usually After, you know, they come out of hibernation in the spring, the young males are driven trying to find their own home range because the dominant males bores or push them out. So they wander through the area trying to see if they can find a habitat they can live in and more importantly, probably find a female friend is probably their main focus. But they generally, most of the time they move on. We've had some cubs in the area, which is unusual. And we do believe we'll have some in some of our more remote areas. But in the main section or most of the park, particularly on the west side, south side, that they're just moving through the area. Okay. I
0: got you. I got you. So when you mentioned earlier about the investment that was
2: made to purchase this, was it? Per- was this land owned by one person or? It was. At the time, at when we the state purchased and citizens purchased, it was owned by Roscoe Hobbs. And okay. Mr. Hobbs had a timber and tie company or tie and timber company where he harvested the trees off the property. And he was, as we understand from the history, a, a selective harvester. He didn't clear cut. And again, as far as we know, no mechanized machinery had been used on this property. Everything had been hauled off by ox and mule. If there was, it was very limited, late in before the state acquired it. Prior to him, Mr. Peter Van Winkle owned the property and his subsequent relatives, is the Blackburn family. He was the first one really to settle on the area and start using it as a business. Unfortunately, Mr. Van Winkle harvested uh, this had one of the best stands of shortleaf pines mm-hmm. in the entire county on this southeast corner, and he harvested everything. He did do clear cutting, so there wasn't much left. So everything we've got on the track is second and third generation growth, you know, trying to survive after that timber harvest. matter of fact, he exhausted the timber that he had to move on. But he was, he, believe it, we have a historical site, one of our trails, Van, his, uh, Van Winkle Historical Trail. And it has quite a bit of history on the trail, it tells you about Mr. Van Winkle and his family and the business opportunity. It's a very popular trail. It's ADA accessible, so it's barrier-free. Uh, There's some panels down there talks to you about. It. You can see the old sawmill site uh, where all this lumbering occurred. And he actually lived down there, had an antebellum home down there as well. It was quite a unique history during a tough time period, as you can imagine, mid-1800s, trying to survive. It also has a Civil War Im- impact on the retreat from the Battle of Pea Ridge. The soldiers spent their first night down in Van Winkle Hollow, and Mr. Van Winkle had left the area because of the Civil War and went to Texas. But yeah, we've so we've got quite a, a unique history in that regard, much less the natural resource aspect of this park. So I sure encourage you to check out Historic Van Winkle Trail. Yeah.
0: So, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it was funny. I was reading a post that somebody had posted on, on Facebook recently. And it was on some page where they were asking questions about can somebody give me the name of a state park that's got like ADA compliant trails where, and that's not very popular. I mean, it's not that it's not popular. It's just that a lot of state parks don't have ADA compliant trails. So, so obviously, you guys have some here.
2: We do. We actually have two besides okay. the Van Winkle Trail, which has got a grid or fine surface to it, but it can Move, you can move a wheelchair-bound, a restricted movement individual down through that trail. It's very popular. But we have one right here next to the Visitor Center, too, the Ozark Plateau Trail, which is concrete. So it's a quarter-mile stack loop. So you got a total of about a half-mile in cover out there. And it's more of a natural environment. Mm -hmm. And it's right here by the Visitor Center, right next to a brand-new facility. We just finished an educational pavilion. You walk right by it to get on the OPT Trail. We call it OPT for Ozark Plateau Trail. And that pavilion just finished construction. We're tying up some loose ends on it, but that facility we're going to be used, we call an education pavilion because that's primarily what's going to be used for. When we get school groups in here, several buses, school groups, we can't accommodate them all in the visitor center, particularly during their lunch breaks when they're with us all day. Mm-hmm. So that pavilion is going to be used for that, but it also can be rented. We'll have some limited rental uses on it, you know, some controls on what can be rented for. But that project wouldn't happen if it hadn't been back to our friends of Hobbs Group. They actually donated $200,000 towards that project right. of the 550 contract price on it. So we're very fortunate to have a group like that supporting us, not only, you know, in small ways with our volunteer effort, they paid for our salary of our volunteer coordinator here, our part-time volunteer coordinator as well. Although she's an employee of the state, they still reimburse the state for her salary. So we have some opportunities here that our friends group provide that most of our many of our other state parks don't have those opportunities, and we're very fortunate to have that group involved with us. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, a lot
0: of that comes out of the interest of people to either establish or encourage outdoor living and just the outdoor environment here in Northwest Arkansas.
2: Well, that's correct. You know, life is good here. We're very fortunate <laughs> and blessed up here, and. We're fortunate to have this piece of property that was saved by, again, by the citizens who were very conservation-minded back then to try to make that happen. And if it wasn't for Rex Spivey when Spivey Real Estate was right down the highway getting with Game and Fish and making them aware this property is available, the state might not have acquired it. And of course, it ultimately ended up with Arkansas Department of Parks and Tourism, Parks Heritage and Tourism now. So we're very fortunate to have that in our backyard. And you're right, it's not far from you know, you can be to Rogers, the edge, eastern edge of Rogers within 10 minutes from this park or less, right. and to the core, within 15 to 20, and and this favor on Springdale or, and Bentonville are not far outside of that either. So this provides a buffer, really. I mean, buffer the lake. We are on the south side of Beaver Lake, and uh, we actually have around 26 miles of shoreline that we adjoin, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on Beaver Lake. So we provide a, a watershed buffer, which helps our water quality in the lake by having this park here as well. And, and not be developed all the way around. So it's an advantage in that regard, plus a wildlife sanctuary for that as well. Yeah, no, yeah,
0: that's absolutely right. And I know a lot of my listeners are going to be thinking about this, but can you talk a little bit about the mountain bike trails that you have here? Sure. Uh, you know, this is this happens to be a big mountain bike area. I mean, all, all of Arkansas is, and, you know, we have a lot of people to thank for that, but I know that that people can, you know, have right in their backyards, they have places that they can go, whether it's Slaughter Pen or some other areas. But I'd love for you just to kind of talk about what you guys have here.
2: You bet. Believe it or not, we've got about 54 miles of trail on this piece of property now. We probably maxed out our trail system that we need to have to at least allow wildlife to have some room to work as well. We began our trail building and we opened our first trail in 1990. began construction in 1989 and that was a hiking trail, Shattuck's Hollow Trail. Mile and a half loop, very popular with many people, including educators and school children. And then we bumped up to the Pigeon Ridge Trail, one of our more popular trails, a year later and opened it up. It was our first contract trail in state parks. We'd never paid anybody to build a trail in the past. And we actually, believe it or not, Tim Ernst was well known. Tim Ernst, a wildlife photographer, I mean, a scenic photographer and writer of many pictorial guides and and hiking guides. Uh, Tim was building trails back then. We hired him to build that trail. So that began. We got into the mountain biking business or the multi-use trail business, I should say, when we opened up the Hidden Diversity Trail. It was our first trail. It was all hand-built. There was no machinery used on that trail. And that opened up in 2006, right after the Van Winkle Trail opened in 2005. That became the second trail in Northwest Arkansas, a multi-use trail. And when I say multi-use, we promised the citizens early on when we acquired the property, horseback riding was permitted up here, mm-hmm. except it was not controlled. So when I got assigned to the property, I started seeing some of the problems we had with what was developed here, riding straight up and down hills, erosional problems. So we put the Hidden Diversity Trail as our first multi-use trail here is hiking, mountain biking, and equestrian use as well. And it's 24 miles long. It, it's laid out. All these trails have been laid out, uh, of course, by hand and built by hand, but we a lot of it's built on the ridges or on the just off the edge of the ridges or it does go down the valley. But anytime you take a trail off the slope, you have to build a long contour. You have to make some deep bench cuts, which are physically demanding to build by hand back then. So you'll see that a distinct difference between the Hidden University Trail and our new Monument Trail, which is 18 miles on the east side of the property. Hidden University is on the west side of the property. You can tie them both together. You can ride them both together as well. So just in a, a year and a half ago, we were fortunate, two and a half years ago, we were fortunate to receive some funding through the new Arkansas Parks and Rec Foundation. Mm-hmm. It's a new foundation in the state. They're focusing on state parks right now. It's not a state park foundation, but it's a park and rec foundation. They're trying to improve some of the trail opportunities and, and fix some of our trail systems in state parks. They've got a contract down at Devil's Den right now. Their initial interest and continues to be right now is mountain biking. Thanks to a generous donation from the Walton Family Foundation that went to the Park and Rec Foundation, we received $1.8 million here to build 18 more miles of mountain bike trail with a tunnel under the highway, multiple cedar bridges. And that's that access to that new monument system, as well as the Hidden Diversity system, can be accessed right off the visitor center area. We we uh, that trail system was completed about a year and a half ago. Become very popular. Matter of fact, it has some downhills to it. All of it's uh, a green and blue system. There's no black. Uh, it's not too difficult. All our trails are family oriented, and there are some climbs to some of them on Hidden Diversity, but. There are uh, mo- almost our trails or almost all our trails, except for a little bit, are loop trails. So you don't have to double back most of the time. But you come out of the Visitor Center on the Tunnel Connect or go to the Downhills or Wolf Den Loop. And then you eventually can ride over on the Carsh Loop. And it's a nine-mile loop. Believe it or not, it's the top-rated loop, you know, for mountain bikers. Very popular loop. It's absolutely beautiful. Takes you down close to Beaver Lake. We just are constructing a new parking lot over there to hold 22 cars in that lot. We just finished the pad last week, so we're hoping to have that open by mid-April. So you have a parking area you'll be able to park in, you know, a formal parking area. We have a brand new parking area we just opened up, a $250,000 contract. State Park's opened up right outside the entrance here to the visitor center. And that's where we're directing all of our mountain bike users or Monument Trail users to Park in that new area. Once we, this parking area here at the visitor center, when school's in particularly or we're busy during the busy seasons, parking area fills up with just visitors to the visitor center or school groups. So uh, we now have a designated spot for them. And that's where the new trailhead for the Monument Trail System is. So
0: Yeah, it's kind of easy, easy in, easy out almost. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is.
2: Yeah. And I don't think a lot of folks realize how difficult is maintained maintain trails. You know, there requires work to be done on them. And particularly with the rain we just recently had. Yeah, we were
0: just as a, before we even started this podcast, you had gotten a call from somebody that said a, a portion of
2: a trail was washed out or something. So, and and I'm to clarify that I'm trying to figure out exactly where that person reported it from, <laughs> right, but because right. we don't always get good accurate reporting. Of course, technology today helps with that. When people drop pins on maps, that helps us tremendously, it saves us for searching from this, but. I believe I'm interpreting that to be on the Hidden University Trail down a little Clifty Creek. And those that have ridden that trail know the big bridge is down there. Apparently some washout down there. So we've got to get down and check that out and see what the problem is. But there is a lot of work to maintain these trail systems, believe it or not. We do get, the still the vast majority of users we get on our trails are hikers. Equestrian use only makes up about 3% of our use, believe it or not. So, and again... You know, I think the more these trails get known, we were really slammed early on. Like I said, I think I said that Devil's Den had the first mountain bike trail in the state of Arkansas, and the Hidden University's trail system was the second, followed by Slaughter Pen soon that, thereafter. So we've been in the multi use business for a while, but it is a challenge to maintain, particularly with uh, the bike use. There's a lot greater impact, obviously, on the trails with bikes and, and, equ- and equestrian use than our foot traffic, of course. But mm-hmm. We've just been very fortunate here to have some good opportunities and folks help us try to take care of it. And well, obviously, we need volunteers with that. And we have an adopt a trail program, which we could get folks involved in to help us maintain those trail systems. It's, it's more work than the average bear thinks it is. So. Yeah,
0: I can imagine.
2: So tell me, are there any unique aspects about this
0: park that you might not find someplace else or like specifically, are there any caves in the park at all?
2: We have, uh, this park is is unique in regard to the fact that we're one of three karst areas in Benton County. The other one at Cave Springs, the other mm-hmm. one at Bella Vista, primary karst areas, I should say. So if you're if you're hiking or using any of our trail systems, we you'll see across a bridge. And as the rain we just got now, most of our streams are flowing. But then in a few days, you'll notice that stream's gone, but you'll look down the creek and see that it's back on the surface again. Karst means water soluble limestone so much of our underbelly of this park is in a limestone layer that has eroded away and on the surface is chert well chert is like your colander you use at home it just filters right through it so that stream that was there and disappears and reappears is called a disappearing stream we do have quite a few sinkholes on the property we do have some caves. We do not, they're, they're not caves that the average person would understand. They're not like Blanchard Caverns or mm-hmm. Mammoth Cave. They're small, crawly, uncomfortable. We don't disclose locations because much like one of the caves at Devil's Den, you know, the public has really impacted that cave environment. The species don't want to live in it anymore, you know. Okay. So as they're very fragile environments. Most of those environments take thousands or hundreds of thousands of years to form formations and formations get broke off intentionally or unintentionally. So most of our caves would not be attractive to the average person. They're tight, crawly, uncomfortable, have vertical drops, you know, those kind of things. So we try to keep those to ourselves and try to protect that resource from us. We don't have anything that tells people to keep out of them, but we sure don't tell folks where they are. But right now, unique-wise, that's a unique environment for us, karst. I think the best time to come out here and explore and hike or whatever you're gonna, your recreational activity is, is right after rainfall, if the trails are open. And most of our hiking trails will always be open to see the waterfalls that are occurring. We don't have a, you know, Petty Jean Cedar Falls or anything monstrous of that size. But right now, a lot of those bluff sh- shelter type limestone outcrop waterfalls will be flowing beautifully. The creeks will be flowing. But so they on do a day like today. Perfect day today. Yeah, perfect yeah. day after the rain we had over the weekend, you right. know, Friday and last yesterday. And I'm, I'm when I made a round earlier this morning, I saw several Non bike folks on bike trails, I'm sure that's what they're out doing is looking at the waterfalls, so okay. yeah it's it's a it's a great time to be out before it gets too hot and it's springtime. I love to personally hike in the winter or explore in the winter. You can see a lot more particularly with the snow we had on the ground. Now, we'll more than likely close our multi use trail systems, but we're going to leave our foot trails open for that, so come out when I got first to get signed here, that's how I learned the property was to get out in the wintertime and walk the ridgetops, exploring. Nothing says you can't walk and explore around here and get off trail if you want to. The problem is you got to know, what you know, you could get lost out here pretty easy. So, Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. so you need to try to stick to that. But, well, obviously the hunting public does that all the time.
0: Yeah, and there are hours to, I mean, the park is not open 24-7, right? That's correct,
2: yes. Yeah. We close all our trails. Most everybody's aware we have a gate system here that many parks don't have, but all our trails are closed at night, and that avoids folks staying out too late, getting lost, having an accident if riding a bike, you know, at night, you know, when that happens, that obviously calls in resources for us, you know, whether it's our own staff or local fire departments, people that have to respond to that incident, you know, unfortunately, because maybe somebody didn't use right judgment or maybe their skill level was that uh, that capable of doing that. There's a lot of people are capable at night, of course, but When you have an injury or an accident like that, that puts other people at risk as well. So we try to avoid that.
0: Yeah. Do you put on a training to like learn how to hike
2: properly? We occasionally have workshops that we uh, have on backpacking or we have guided hikes. So you could get that kind of direction as well during a guided hike. But, you know, again, we have some unique workshops here, uh, whether it be birding workshops or history. One of our popular events is called the Friends of Hobbs speaker series. And that speaker series usually occurs on a Sunday and maybe once or twice a month and draws a big crowd to learn more about the resources on the property. We're kind of the flagship park for resource management because we are so big. And plus, we have a consumptive use You know, that in being hunting, about the only other place we have a consumptive resource use is at Crater Diamond State Park, where you're able to hunt for diamonds and keep what you find. Oh, right, right. Most state parks are preservation areas where you, you know, not conservation areas. As you notice in our name, we're called Hobbs State Park Conservation Area. And that's because of our joint management. Plus, we allow hunting and some other activities. But otherwise, rocks, flowers, animals outside of hunting are all protected in most our state parks as they are here. Uh, Of course, we have the one exception of hunting. So we ask you not to be picking the flowers. Somebody else needs to be, you know, may want to see those flowers. And we're getting into the spring season where that's going to be happening again, right? But we try to do some unique stuff here. We're improving old glades, pocket glades, where cedars have encroached upon those glades. And that doesn't allow the species that were living there. We, We started the first fire program and state parks occurred here. So we burn our property and we're in the middle right now just trying to Hope the rain stops and dries up so we can get two units burnt. And I'm talking larger units, five hundred and fifty acres, one, the other one's seven hundred acres. So and these are controlled burns. Controlled burns, Absolutely. prescribed fires, yes. Yeah. And we're very yeah. particular about how we manage them, how we prepare for them. And again, you know, the the we're on the Ozark Plateau, so uh, you know, the this land didn't look like this at one time. Our forefathers obviously impacted both animal species as well as timber harvest. This was a wide open forest at one time with a lot of grass and wildflowers between the trees and you could ride a horse in wide open areas. That's hard to do in our Ozark forest anymore, and that's the purpose of fire. And I know folks saw a lot of, smelled a lot of smoke last week, particularly from burning in the in the Ozark National Forest, even down as far as the Ouachita National Forest reached up here. But the purpose of that is try to bring the forest back to its natural state, which had been impacted by, again, by our forefathers. So. Thinning the timber out, the understory, trying to let the sunlight get to the bottom of the soil, burning the leaf debris litter off the bottom. That's why we try to burn when it's very dry, but controllable. That exposes the soil, and there's a seed bank down there that hasn't been exposed for decades, not year, hundreds of years. Right. So getting that leaf litter off there allows the sun to hit it, and then we. I, in some of our burns, we're seeing flowers growing in the middle of the forest I've never seen before in my career since I've been here. Wow. So,
0: yeah, you, you really, sometimes you don't know what's just right below the surface. That's correct. Whether yeah. you're
2: walking underneath it. And that's why we're very protective here. We we don't have, most of our restrooms we have at our trailhead, you may notice they're vault type restrooms. We don't have septic systems on them. So we collect the waste and we pump it out frequently. So that's that sewage does not go out into the car system as well to try to protect that ground underneath us in that geological area. Same with all our facilities. We're very careful on how we manage it and the systems we put in place here at the visitor center. We have a drip system instead of a standard septic system trying to protect that geological layer underneath us, called referred to as corst. And the species that live down there, some of those live in darkness their entire life. They never see the light of day. And so we can have a tremendous impact on that underground area if we don't protect it. And yeah, and and again, I think you've most folks that come out and see don't always know what this place used to look like because we weren't around then, right? So yeah. we only got records of that. So I'm hoping if we can continue our burning program, and we've been very, very difficult to do the last few years because of the weather in the wintertime, we can bring this place back to what it looked like at one time. Wow. Well, I tell you, you guys are
0: off to a good start. That's for sure. And Thank hopefully you. with at the time of recording this, we're all waiting with bated breath for this pandemic to be over so we can kind of get back to some normalcy. And I know with, with all of the outdoor options that you have here, people are are starting to explore those now. So we really appreciate everything and all the efforts that you and your staff are doing to make this such a great place to come visit. So with that said, what's the be- if people want to learn more about the park, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Would you direct them to? The state website or to the Friends of Hobbs Park website?
2: I I would say review both. I mean, uh, the Friends site, we've got a little more leniency or the Friends organization does to put stuff on that page. But, you know, you need to start off with maps and understand the layout of the property and and what your interest is. And we have what we call a park information brochure, which is our main brochure showing all the facilities. Then we have trail maps that break the trail systems down if you're interested in that. Yeah, we're looking forward to, uh, you know, getting COVID behind us like everybody else. Our trail systems have been spiking during COVID because folks have a little more free time or making free time to get out and use them. And we're happy for that as well. But we sure missed our educational program, our interactive exhibits at the visitor center, some of the things we do with our guests and our visitors that we haven't been able to do. And I think that's coming back. We also have on our state park page now, we've always had campsites on our Pigeon Roost Trail, backpacking campsites on the Pigeon Roost Trail. Uh, But we just went just a couple weeks ago uh, live on reservations for those campsites, as well as a brand new set of six camp areas, camping spots on the Cars Loop. It's the first bike camping in northwest Arkansas. You actually can ride your bike in or hike in uh, and camp at these sites. And they've got quite unique structures over them. Uh, sculptures, I would describe them just as the trailhead does up here at the visitor center. Mm-hmm. Uh, those sites are online at our state park website that you can reserve them now. And there's a fee associated with them because there's a maintenance cost with that. But, uh, both those new, uh, that new camping area on the car sloop uh, on the monument trail, as well as the pigeon roost, uh, are available for reservation now. And we're getting quite a few calls on it.
0: Oh, good, good. Well, yeah, we'll make sure that everybody has all this information, the show notes and, and, uh. And can connect. If they want to call up here to just ask any questions or inquire, what's the number
2: to call? Number's 479 789 5000. 789 5000. Pretty simple. Yeah. And we've got a staff here. If you've never been to the visitor center, you need to, and particularly after we get our exhibits open back up where you can get involved and see our programming, please come up and see us. We've got a great staff. We'll, uh, There's about 13 of us that operate here full-time and part-time, and then we've got a cadre of volunteers that help us. We couldn't do it without our volunteers, whether they're maintaining bird feeders or giving educational programs or adopt a trail program on the trail. We we very much depend on our our volunteers to assist us, but we've got a great staff here. They're very knowledgeable and be glad to help you and answer your questions you may have there. I know most folks go technology-wise, go to the, the webpage, but if there's something you're not sure about, always call and ask first.
0: Yeah, Pick uh, up the
2: phone. That's right. And, and, and you know, a lot of questions we've been getting lately is our shooting range. We had a public shooting range that closed down April of 2019 because we had a safety issue. We're finally about a month away from finishing that contract. So that range should be opened up by the, around the 1st of May uh, when the contract is completed. And those that have used it in the past, believe it or not, we had eight to 12,000 people use that range wow. annually. We'd collect four ton of lead out of that range that we recycled and didn't go in the environment. Well, we're going to a new different style of folks that have used it in the past. will see there's not a capture system down there anymore. We're going to be shirting directly into the berm that was the backstop to the capture system. And then we're going to, there's an ability to do this now that wasn't when we opened that facility where we're going to have a reclamator come on site and we'll tear the berm down, reclimate the lead back out of it and rebuild the berm. So uh, those that have used the shooting range uh, will be able to do that. Now it was originally built for long guns, although people use it for pistols, you know, as well. But unfortunately, the first target is 25 feet away because again, it was designed for rifles. Our goal was to try to ensure sportsmen are more accurate in their shooting absolutely uh, and it's only 100 yard range so if you're thinking you're going to sight in for going out <laughs> west it was intended only for here so uh, but folks do use it for pistols they just have to work together on it you can't bring your own you have to bring paper or cardboard targets only nothing else and wooden clothespins. pins we provide the standards for you down there and, and hopefully that'll be open back up again so it's a there's no range master so it's self-policing so we ask you to be very careful you know, we again, that's a lot of people using it annually. So uh, that so folks that have been using it for years now see there's going to be a change down there and hopefully they'll understand what the change is and how we're managing it differently now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that was one thing that I did want to bring up because I know that,
0: that some people would have an interest about taking advantage of that. Plus, you can go to a shooting range in a beautiful state park. That's correct. Yeah, yes. so which and you can't beat. So yeah. and you know. it's free right now. So, oh, OK, okay. Well, that's even yeah. better. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, Park Superintendent Clippager, I really appreciate you taking time to meet with us today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to connect with us and share a few stories about uh, Hobbs State Park and what you guys are hoping to do as you move forward in the future. Well, you're
2: quite welcome. Glad to do that. I mean, we're here to help. So let us know what we can do to make your experience very good here. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yes, sir.
0: Well, folks, that's another episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. To learn more about us or to read or download the show notes from today's episode, visit I Am Northwest You can also listen to this podcast and sign up for our free newsletter to keep up with us and all things NWA. Sign up today. You can subscribe to the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast wherever you listen to it, and please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Obviously, our podcasts come out every Monday. Well, not obviously, but. I'm just reminding you that they do. Every Monday, without fail, the podcast comes out. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. We'll see you back here next week for a new episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. Signing out.
1: Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Check us out each and every week, available anywhere that great podcasts can be found. For show notes or more information on becoming a guest, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. We'll see you next week on I Am Northwest Arkansas.